Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Solutions Brewing Podcast. I'm Brendan. I'm joined virtually with by Stephen Sock and Robert Kalachuk. Hello, everyone. Say hello, guys. Yes. There we hey go. Perfect. <laughs> um, today, we're going to be talking about basically while you're brewing the beer, making beer, and doing all that fun stuff, how you know when you've done something wrong, and it's all going to end terribly. How you can identify it, and how you can maybe do some things to help it out, or just give up and start over and try again. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're definitely not strangers to failures. Uh, I I have dumped my fair share of beer over the years, so, uh, and I know, uh, and all of us have had experience in this. So, uh, yeah, everybody has. Yeah. No, you there's you you might go for long stretches without something, and then all of a sudden something will go wrong, and then it's pooched. And every professional brewer has had to throw beer away. Yeah. And I, I think it's actually one of the hallmarks. Like, you aren't a true brewer until you've thrown something away and been really disappointed about it. Been like, oh, that was going to be so good, and damn it. <laughs> I like to compare it to motorcycle riding, where they say there's, like, two types of riders, right? There are people who have dropped their bike, and there are people who have yet to drop their bike. <laughs> no, that's not, this is, not inaccurate. This is a, it's going to happen. This is some people it happens later than than others <laughs> so right, so before we dive into this here steve maybe you can uh remind people maybe they just started listening to the podcast and don't know the stages of brewing beer yet walk them quickly through that step and then we can go through how we can probably tell some stories about where we fucked up each stage <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. so uh the first stage is when you know you're actually making the beer itself so you're uh, you're mashing the grain to pull out the sugars. Uh, you're boiling uh, that resultant wort, to, and then you know adding hops and you know, various other ingredients to it to make your uh, to actually yeah to make your wort. Sorry, first you get your liquor and then you get your wort. Uh, after that, uh, you add yeast to it and let it ferment, which is the second stage, uh, until you transfer it into secondary, which is the third stage. Uh, Afterwards, you can uh, like then either transfer it into a keg and carbonate it, or put it into bottles and carbonate in those. Uh, so like conditioning and uh, and bottling. So there are plenty of stages uh, for screw ups to happen. And let's start like chronologically. Let's start at, you know, how do you know you screwed up when you're mashing? Because this actually happened to us recently when we're doing our group brew. So, yes, yeah. yes. so when you create a recipe, uh, you try and get, uh, so there's two different measurements you can use. You can either use specific gravity or you can use Play-Doh. And basically what those are measures of is your... Okay, there's three. You can actually use bricks. Yeah, no one uses bricks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. By the way, don't ask us what those are because I... Uh, in, it's really weird, actually. It, it depends on where you are in the world. North America likes to use standard gravity or Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess for people that don't know, that's just a way of measuring how much sugar you have in your water. Yeah. So basically, like, water at, you know, specific gravity is, like, is a 1.00. That's water. So any percentage or any... Uh, points above that one mark is you have sugar in the system and you can measure that a couple different ways um you can use a hydrometer to measure it or you can use uh 
what is that optical thing? I'm forgetting the name Ref of it right now. Refractometer. Refractometer, which basically measures light going through it, which then, by the angle of deflection of the light coming into the uh, uh, into the plate, essentially with the sugar on top of it, uh, the sugar water will then tell you how much sugar is in it by how much it deflects by. Yeah, it sounds really fancy, and it's actually not an expensive tool. It's like $20 tool. Yeah, you can usually get it for like 15 awesome. bucks on uh, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, they're great. So, and they're... <laughs> one, one of the, the chief ways you can screw up uh, during you know, your first stage, when you're mashing and when you're doing your boil, is you don't hit your specific gravity targets. So when you build a recipe, like you put in your malt and you put in all your stuff and your temperatures and all that, and it will tell you approximately how, and your efficiency of your system, which for home brewing usually is 70, 75%. Uh, so it, a program, or you can do it by hand actually, which there is actually a way to do it by hand and it's very silly. Don't do that. You don't do there that. Are free programs. <laughs> there are free programs. If you want a good brewing software, there's, it's called Brew Target. Yep. Use that one. It doesn't cost anything. It was an open source software. Yeah, so like you can do it by hand, but use a program for love of God. Like you, you, you might have a lot of spare time in your hands, but you don't have you don't have that much spare time in your hands. Anyway, so you can do that. There are books for the math if you want to learn the math. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so it'll tell you basically based on all your little factors um, at the end of your mashing process, you should have extracted, you know, in your. Uh, in your water, you will have extracted this much amount of sugar. Then when you, that's, uh, you know, your, uh, what's called your original gravity. Um, when you start boiling, you'll then reduce the amount of uh, water in the system. So then that will uh, equate to your final gravity. And what happened with us recently is we were basically recreating dark humor to do our little uh, Christmas competition. Uh, again, new system and we're still kind of figuring all the ins and outs of actually using it and uh we screwed up because our the amount of sugar we pulled out was super low so we were supposed to hit uh you know enough to get about four four and a half percent at the end product and it turned out our sugar was low enough that uh without any uh, alterations or anything the uh, resultant sugar content was about two and a half or two point eight percent would have been the final alcoholic percentage of the beer. So, uh, you know, we checked half uh, during the process, but yeah, we we basically found out it's you know called uh, tell Rob it's like hey what what are we supposed to be at and Rob's like here's the number and we're like yeah we're way below that. <laughs> <laughs> right so basically what happened was um using these for example we use brew target because it's handy uh you can kind of predict how much grain you need and it will kind of help give guide you how much sugar you're going to get out of that grain that you can potentially use to ferment to produce alcohol mm -hmm. so in our case we got for the amount of grain that we used we got about half of the amount of sugar that we were expecting so very bad efficiency <laughs> um part of that is using some new equipment that we're not familiar with and this will always happen you always have some kinks to work out um but yeah so anyways uh we ended up with instead of getting something that would put us around the five percent we ended up with something like in the 2.6 range yeah. 
<laughs> so very, very, very low efficiency was terrible. Um, still worked out for the beers. Uh, for people who did show up uh, for that competition, I ended up leaving mine at that percentage and doing things with it. Steve added... Yeah, I, and, I uh, added uh, dry dark malt to it. Basically powdered uh, sugar from from grain, yeah, from malt, so, and uh, basically tried to get the percentage back up that way. Um, I think I added like two the equivalent of about two pounds of, of malt extract to actually get it somewhere back up in the, the 5% range. Yeah, so Steve added quite a bit. Uh, Brennan fucked up and did nothing. Hey, just because I got mine professionally packaged back up to the original concentration, unmodified from the original recipe, yes, I definitely didn't follow the rules AKA of the competition. AKA Brennan showed up with cans of beer. I showed up with a damn good beer. You did. You did show up with a damn good beer. So, so one, so one way you can basically like figure this out during your brewing process is you got to check it so using the refractometer or taking a little bit of uh, the liquid off of the uh, either the um, pre-sparge water or pre-sparge volume or after it's been sparged and checking it and seeing what your level is at and there's a so couple there's, there's a couple there's ways to fix that point. indicators that you can check though right steve um like first of all knowing and understanding and making sure you're maintaining your mash temperatures yes um is important and they can't be too hot or too cold mm-hmm. um yes. this was always something that i fought with when i was doing the brew in the bag is just making sure i had the right amount of heat addition to compensate what i was losing through the wall of the of the pot there mm-hmm. um, yeah exactly so uh for people that don't know that ideal temperature is 65 degrees celsius yeah give or take um, a couple degrees depending on the malts you have yeah you're allowed at like about two degree switch either like plus or minus once you get above 67 it actually kind of kills the um kills that that transformation of collecting the sugar from the grain so mm-hmm. you actually won't get any uh, which turned out to be our problem for this competition we temperature was too high what we should have done was probably let it cool down and let it sit longer but we didn't uh, and if you go too low, uh, you have a similar problem. It doesn't kill the, kill the, um, kill that transformation of sugars. You just don't get it. It just won't do it. Yeah. It won't like. Yeah. For those uh, science-minded visitor or listeners that we have, uh, there's a lot you can dig into here. But there's an en- enzymatic reaction, and the temperature control is important because the type of sugar that you get out of it also changes as you change your temperature. So you go from 65, you get nice fermentable sugars. As you get warmer and warmer, you start producing non-fermentable sugars. Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll change the flavor profile without adding alcohol to the beer. Uh, And then above a certain temperature, you just stop all enzyme activity altogether. Yeah, at that point, you're just making porridge, essentially, because your grain's just steeping in hot water. So (laughs) there's definitely an end point there. So there is another thing that you can do during the mash and I've never done this and it's something I'd be interested in trying at some point but there's a, an iodine reaction or something that you can use to check to see if uh, the enzyme activity is complete or if there's still those precursors present in the wort yeah I've seen that before but I've ever, I've never done it and I I don't know if I've actually ever like as when I used to be part of the homebrew club I don't think anyone actually ever like did that 
No, well, and I think, I mean, for most of us, we just put it in there, and I mean, if it takes an hour or if it takes 40 minutes and the other 20 minutes is just sitting there, doesn't really impact our, our homebrew stuff, but I can imagine at a commercial scale where time is money, trying to shave that 10, 20 minutes off your brew time, time. having yeah, something just, to know exactly when you're done could be handy. Yeah, absolutely, especially for like a very large commercial brewery where the sooner they can finish those reactions and get that sugar, they're emptying that tank and they're putting in another batch like right away. They're yeah. not even waiting. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, as a home brewer, you're making a batch a week, maybe every two weeks. That's not important to you. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it, the, the method exists. It'd be interesting to try it someday. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you can use the i9 to check it at that point. Uh, but yeah, you can also use the refractometer to basically check your sugar levels. So sometimes it can be easy as literally just sparging a bit more, because uh, if you is essentially what you can do is like uh, you're trying to get like an almost like an absolute sugar value for the amount of water you're gonna have. And one thing you can do is you can actually just pull off. Uh, so for those who don't know, sparging is when you basically rinse the grain after it's been steeping for a while, and you're basically washing, adding fresh water to collect sugar off of the grains that are, you know, have been sitting in the uh, in the hot uh, hot fluid for a little while. Yeah, yeah. The the idea. Sorry, we're explaining this because we found out we have a lot of people who are brand new to brewing and have asked us to explain these terms more. So mm-hmm. uh, if you think of mashing, it's basically you're taking this crushed grain, steeping it like a tea, and then you're draining that liquid. And that liquid that you drain out, that is your wort. That is what you're going to eventually boil and use to ferment. Yeah. So sparging is the process of after you're, while you're draining this, this wort out of your, your grain, you're basically rinsing it because you're trying to get as much of that sugar out as possible. Yeah. And so how it usually goes is you have a water calculation for your uh, for your mash. So you'll use a certain amount of water there, and then you'll uh, rinse with an additional amount of water, and then that'll get you to your pre-boil volume. So at that point, it's like I've got you know for a typical homebrew batch, I've got six and a half or I've got seven gallons of you know sugared water, and then during my boil process, I assume I'm going to lose half a gallon a gallon or something depending on you know your particulars for the program um the method i've used a lot is when i'm a little light on my sugar so i check over the refractometer and i'm low um i will sparge a bit more and then i will boil a little bit more before putting in my hops so what that does is i'm collecting a little bit more water a little bit more of that sugar but then i'm boiling it off so the um, the total amount of sugar that's in the beer or in the uh, in the wort is uh is what it should be so it's a, it takes a little bit more time than that but that's a if you've got like an extra 15 20 minutes to boil off like half a gallon or maybe a gallon's worth depending on how vigorous your boil is uh, it's a way to get to how much sugar you need for the volume of water you have Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, there is one other um, way you can know that you're going down the wrong road with a beer uh, at the mash step, and this is if you've changed what you normally do and you're brewing a trying to brew a strong beer with twice as much grain but use the same <laughs> amount of mash water, and you forget to <laughs> ac- 
account for the fact that your brew pot is the same size it was before. Um, yes. At that point, you make a big mess. Everything's going everywhere. It's probably time to stop and reset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brendan, you're actually referring back to the previous episode where we talked about our mistakes that we've made before. That is right. <laughs> do, we, do you know what episode number that is? Can we do a, a reference oh. back to it? Ah, we'll figure it out later. You might hear me clicking around here because uh, I'm going <laughs> to... And it's so while Rob early. looks for uh, the reference to uh, direct people to other media content that we put out there. Episode What's... six. Episode six? Oh. Mistakes we made, yeah. It's got episode six. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun one. All right. Now we're on to the brew. We're brewing, we're boiling. Yeah. What are we doing here? Uh, generally, uh, one of the. Well, there. <laughs> I think this one's a hard step to mess up because basically you're waiting for it to boil. So either you get distracted and you don't notice that your your kettle's boiling and you're like, whoops. <laughs> so you're going to lose more volume because it's evaporating. Um, and the only other option is when you're adding hops, if you add, depending on when you add hops, you get different properties out of the hops. So the longer you boil, the more bitterness you get, the less you boil a hop the more flavoring and aromas you get out of it. Yeah, generally on a standard 60-minute brew, uh, hops added between uh, 40 and 60 minutes are mostly bittering hops. Those added 40 to 20 minutes are mostly uh, flavor, I believe, and uh, usually from 20 to basically like stop in the boil are aroma. Right, so it's very typical to have hop additions... When someone says 60, 30, 10, that means they're, um, once you notice that your your wort is boiling, or starts to boil, that's when you start your timer at 60 minutes. Mm. So your 60 minute addition is your initial bittering hops because it's going to boil for the full 60 minutes. So then when you get to the 30 minute mark and you're maybe adding more, then that's your 30 minute addition. Mm-hmm. When you get to 10, then that's your 10 minute addition because it's only going to boil for 10 minutes. Yeah. So it, it won't ruin your beer at this point, like any of this or any addi- other additions you do, like bitter orange peel, salt. Uh, some people use uh, seaweed to help yeah, coagulate exactly. uh, you know, the trub and stuff afterwards. You can add um, fruit additions if you, um, if you want to add fruit. Fruit is a good idea to kind of, you can add it during the boil because it'll help sanitize it, like heat sanitize your fruit. Mm-hmm. So you're not adding, like, some wild yeast to your beer? Yeah, there's not much that will happen at this point to make it go bad, per se. Uh, but it, it, depending on, like, if you have timings and you have stuff going at certain intervals and you're off, your beer will be off. Um, sometimes it's pretty minor. Like, you might not hit, like, if you, you know, only boil it for 50 minutes instead of 60 minutes when you meant to do it for 60, and you put in your your hops at the beginning, uh, you might not hit the IBUs or bitterness uh, that you were intending. But it's not gonna. Yeah. But it's not gonna like yeah. ruin your beer. <laughs> yeah. So basically, at the boil, the only thing you can screw up is that you, you know, you didn't notice that it was boiling at the right time. Uh, you lost track of your timer. You didn't set your timers, so you didn't add your hops at the time you wanted. But all it's really going to change, it's not going to screw up the fermentation. All it's really going to do, it'll change the profile. 
So you might get more bitter, you might get less bitter, depending on um, which way you made your mistake. Mm -hmm. oh. uh, the only thing to watch out for, this is kind of like an aha kind of thing, that everyone screws up at the start. Your first, your very first hop addition, there is a very violent reaction when you add it to the boil pot. Yes. Yeah, this has caught me a number of times. Yeah, so by violent, I mean if you take your hops and just dump all of them in at one time, you'll actually have this reaction that creates this foam called a hot break. And it just goes, boom, comes right up and will very likely boil over. You get a boil over because it will actually come up and over your pot and make a big mess. Yeah, I have definitely uh, burned myself on that a few times. Yeah, So, but it only happens the first time. So the first time you add it, you kind of have to like sprinkle it in very slowly over like a 20, 30 seconds. So it's not like you have to do it super slow, but you don't want to just dump them in. But if you have other additions, so if you let's say you did a 60-minute addition, you very slowly sprinkle those in. Excuse me. You very slowly sprinkle those in. It'll boil. It'll come up a little bit. You'll see it foam up. As it settles down, you can add more, and you'd be good. And then if, say, you're doing another addition at 30 minutes you can just dump those right in you won't have that reaction again it only ever happens the first time yeah yeah like you might uh, d during later like you might get a little bit of as you know because usually it's pellets uh they might break apart and they might like bubble up a little bit but usually by that point uh hey, you're right it's like it's not as violent and also you've also lost some volume in your uh in your boil pod so then even if it does it's not a problem but you definitely won't have that hop break that will come up All yeah right. so then after that so we're done the boil you get to the chilling phase so you have this liquid that's 100 degrees or since we're in calgary our elevation is higher we actually boil water boils at about 96 degrees so whatever it's fucking hot <laughs> kill your heat now you need to chill it down from 96 or 100 or whatever you want to think of it down to at least 20 degrees 18 to 20 degrees so here's where you can really mess up it's very important to try and chill it as quickly as possible because now you have this liquid that's been boiling for an hour so it's sterile basically everything's dead which is perfect because you're creating this environment for your yeast to thrive so you need to chill it the time that it takes you to get from hot to cold, there's opportunity for stuff that's not the yeast that you want to get into that beer. So you want that to happen quickly, which is why you use chillers. Um, which is great, because you can use these uh, chillers. There's two ways. There's an immersion chiller, which you have basically a coil that you run circulating water and you put that into your into your wort to chill it down or you can use a plate chiller which is like a counter flow and chills down really fast it'll take like 20 minutes um, and then you sprinkle your yeast and you're good to go and you won't have any problems um, if you're like oh no my chiller's broken or for whatever reason you can't run it through it gets plugged up Sometimes that happens, and you try to chill it some other way. You're like, I'm just going to put a lid on it, leave it in the fridge. If you can leave it in the fridge, or you just leave it outside. 
to chill out, then you're you know you're inviting wild yeast to get in there. And uh, and one, it takes forever. You ever try air cooling something from a hundred degrees down to room temperature? It takes a day. It it takes forever, but I mean, if it is something that you're stuck in, and I mean, I was in this situation for a while because I didn't actually have a plate chiller or an immersion chiller, um, but just uh, using ice water baths and cycling the water a couple times, water is a great heat medium. Yes, <laughs> so I would yeah. use it for everything. It takes heat away very well. So, so one of the interesting things uh, I'm going to contradict you a little bit here is um, as long so as long as the environment is sterile, it's you know, it, it should be fine sort of thing. Because uh, actually a, a method from Australia is they, uh, to when they do brewing and whatnot, uh, they'll let it cool overnight. So they'll brew in the evening, uh, cover it up so it's tight, and let it just, uh, like, cover and let it cool. So by morning, it's actually cool enough to pitch yeast by then. So it... It's... Well, see, that would be interesting because if you take something that's hot, completely cover, like air seal, I'm assuming it's air sealed. Yeah, usually like they have like, like so a the, br- like the... kind of brew in a bucket, so they'll put like the an airtight lid on it, and okay, and just let it let it sit, sort of thing. So what's interesting about that is because if you start hot, like that, and you kind of got like an airtight seal on it, and it chills, it will actually create a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So that would keep everything out. Yeah. And, but there's, uh, so yeah, <laughs> that little, little factor. Uh, but another reason why you want to chill fast is that there's a possibility, um, I'm trying to remember if it's dimethyl sulfide or uh, sulfides, because they're naturally occurring in the beers. Uh, if you don't cool fast enough, uh, there is a temperature that they kind of form within the beer. And what it'll do, it'll give off flavors to your beer, because uh, it doesn't taste great. It's a it's a not a nice chemical sort of thing um it won't it won't harm you or anything like that but there the range it kind of forms is 60 to 40 degrees so if you don't get it cool enough it'll uh it'll appear in your beer yeah you're right steve that is uh dimethyl sulfide which is Mm -hmm. the common term is uh dms yeah that's what everyone refers to that as and i believe the flavor for that is kind of like band-aid Tastes like Band-Aid. Yeah, gross. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's that's chilling. Um, I'm going to throw this one to Brendan because Brendan hasn't talked in a little while. Uh, so, Brendan, how do you know that you have things are going bad or things are going off in the fermentation stage? And Brendan is quiet, so I'll start talking. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You back know. back again yeah the uh yeah. wonders of living through the pandemic here is i continue to forget how to unmute myself <laughs> <laughs> you've had two years man you should have figured it out by now uh no i refuse <laughs> um so fermentation's uh, uh fermentation's easy because it's a it's very visual um it's an easy thing to kind of check on to understand as you're going day by day to make sure things are going in the right direction um assuming that you've done the previous steps correctly and you have sugar in the wort and you didn't um, pick up any strange bugs uh, in the cool down process then you've pitched your yeast within about a day you should have a very prominent yeast uh, and carbon dioxide and foam and all this other fun stuff going on in the 
in the beer you should be able to smell like something pleasant um, and not something that just kind of makes you gig and it's what's what's that top called it's the krausen or something i think is the official called the term. krausen which is basically like a very white creamy foam that builds up that that is totally normal uh, you should expect to see that if you see it you should be very happy yeah and mm-hmm. it should be like it should almost it should be it should seem very active uh, and then as kind of the fermentation step goes on and the, those sugars are reduced to alcohols, the yeast will get less and less active and that krausen will fall and settle uh, back to the beer. And then depending on if you have top fermenting yeast or bottom fermenting yeast, where that yeast ends up um, at the end of the day may change. As you're going through your fermentation process, uh, if you're using sanitized equipment, you can take samples and watch as the specific gravity or the density of the beer uh, drops as those sugars are converted into alcohols, which have a lower density than the sugars that you started with. Yeah. Um, in fact, this is typically how we determine the alcohol percentage of the beer is going from your uh, your initial gravity uh, down to your final gravity, your post uh, fermentation gravity, and the difference between that tells you how much sugar was converted into alcohol, which gives you your APP or your percentage. Mm-hmm. Now. If things are starting to go wrong, it'll become apparent uh, that Krausen will either not appear or you will see something that looks more like uh, uh, other bacterial cultures or just little pockets of floating things that aren't um, uh, really taken off. So if there's no sugar, obviously the yeast can't take, but what more likely is if there's some other contaminant that's fighting with the yeast for uh, the resources within that, then that will appear as smaller pockets. It'll look off either very chalky white or green or those are colors you don't really want to see in your beer as silky Uh, or milky is one of the ones i say if you see if it has strands it's not good yeah basically healthy fermentation you have like almost like a light brown cream kind of color and it'll be very bubbly very bubbly Mm -hmm. um and if you have if you have like other they call them, we just call them infections. If you have an infection, um, like I had one last year that did this, uh, it'll look like, instead of like a creamy foam, it'll like develop a film. It looks like a film across and it'll have very few but large bubbles on the top and it'll be like white, like almost pitch white. Yeah, and, and, the, and the bubbles will uh, look wrong. They, they almost look like pustules. Like you, you would pop them and like stuff would come out except it's just a bubble of air uh but it's not good yeah it's not good for beer but if you're making vinegar it's great (laughs) (laughs) so this is why i was saying fermentation is easy though because if it looks off or it smells bad or something like that then it's you know it's off or if it turns green you definitely know it's bad Yeah. yeah so and the the unfortunate part about it though is that if it does go at that stage there's there's not a lot you can do to recover it's no Batch, batch is spoiled you got to dump it start all over again like if do you get a thorough clean of all your equipment yeah if um, you catch it early enough sometimes what you can do especially like with the ones with the film on top you can sometimes if you like put in a siphon or something like that and you pierce the top layer without like pushing any of it down you can sometimes pull off the bottom and then leave like a like a, a good layer and then what you think the infected layer is on top of and try and pull that out but generally once it's got other bugs in it it's toast yeah like i i don't do that for the the amount that the grain costs and stuff like that it's 
I, I, I would just brew? always have a question in it every time okay. I pulled a beer. It's mostly yeah. your time for you're wasting. So. I've, I've, I've done it because this has happened to me too. For homebrew, um, I will take a sample and just taste it. If it tastes okay, like you're not going to make yourself sick if you guys do this. So it's, it's okay to taste it. If it tastes okay, it's okay to keg or bottle or whatever you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. If it does not taste okay, dump it. Yeah. But yeah, it's but it yeah. If if you walk into the room that uh, you're fermenting your beer in and something smells wrong, it's it's kind of obvious at that point that uh, your unfortunately your beer might also be wrong. So by smell wrong, there is some yeasts will give a very strong sulfur or rotten egg smell. Mm-hmm. That will go away in time, but that smell is normal. So if you smell something other than that, then there's a problem. True. Uh, yeah, if you're using basically like the non-standard yeasts, but if you're using like a Safel 05, 04, or an SB33, which are the standard German, US, and British yeasts, uh, you'll you'll be okay. Like, like if you smell wrong, it's wrong. But if you get in some of the more Belgian white labs, like more of the very unique uh, yeasts, uh, Rob is correct, like you will... Sometimes it they are that funky way on purpose. Yeah, yeah. It goes away in time, but if you like, if you're to crack the lid, for example, if you're just fermenting in a bucket, if you're to crack the lid and take a whiff, it might smell like rotten eggs. Mm. That's normal. Um, if you do ferment in a bucket and you crack the lid to take a whiff, um, don't take a very deep whiff because you will burn your nostrils. <laughs> I've done it yes. more than once. As we've all learned in chemistry <laughs> class, you have to waft. Yeah, waft. Yes. And you guys can't yeah. hear it, but I'm doing the gentle wafting yeah, over the I'm, mic. To... We're, we're all doing the wafting. I'm watching Rob, That's right, yeah. I do the wafting. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, I'm just waving my hand. I'm like, we don't know why no one can see what we're doing. But, um, so, so that's funny, because that's actually how I check my fermentations. Is um, So I throw in a sanitized hydrometer into my, uh, my bucket. And I periodically check it just by cracking the lid and looking both at the hydrometer to see what my specific gravity is. Then also just a, I, you know, take a, a sniff test to see if it's uh, doing what it should be doing. Yes. So there's <clears throat> the only other thing that can happen here during fermentation. Uh, if you do what Steve does and you have basically a constant measuring tool and you're little more experienced and you're like okay it's at the at the final level that i want you're like i'm ready to take it off well you might want to just hold on on that because there is a compound called diacetyl which will make your beer uh the way to notice this one is if you were to sample it and you taste it uh it's going to taste like butter or like um uh sometimes popcorn butter kind of thing right sometimes but yeah, butterscotch is the one I'm thinking. I was going to say yeah, butters. Yeah, butterscotch or butter. You get this kind of like flavor to it. And this is also a byproduct of the fermentation, which is normal. Uh, and all it means is you need to give the yeast more time. And it will eat that up and it will disappear. Yeah, yeah the way it works is that the diastole is actually formed by the yeast in the early stages of growing the culture, basically. And then after it's consumed all the fermentable sugars it goes back to the diastole for what kind of one last spurt of energy before it all goes inactive and settles out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting 
a single-celled organism planning for the future produces something it can eat later. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very interesting. So normally you don't want that. Sometimes some breweries will do it on purpose. If they make it like a butterscotch ripple beer or something like that, they might do that. But yeah, yeah just, this but, one uh, this one's just an off flavor. It's not uh, not harmful in any way. It's actually used as the flavoring in a lot of microwave popcorns and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's perfectly safe. It's just not usually a flavor that you're trying to put into your beer. Yeah, no. Although yeah. if you do get it into your beer and you want to just call it a butter beer, that's a good way to go too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Brennan's coal she made one year, <laughs> yeah. or Corona. I, I can't remember what, what you were trying to. No, do. it was definitely not a Corona. I would definitely call it a Corona. <laughs> Corona. <laughs> so I think that's about it for fermentation. It's pretty like there's a lot of things that go wrong for during fermentation, but it's pretty simple essentially. So. I have one last note on the diastole, actually, because um, oh. it's not just a time thing. If you, I, I, I ran into this because my basement at uh, my previous place uh, was very cool, cool relative to most other places. So it was usually in that 16, 17 degrees. And that's actually a little low for the, the yeast to be active enough to process the diastole. So if you run into that, just having a couple days of primary fermentation at a slightly higher temperature, kind of that 19, 20 degrees. Um, that's, a, that's a good point, Brenda. That, that reminds me of another one. That there, there are also two types of yeast. So there's an ale yeast and a lager yeast. Mm-hmm. Ale yeast likes to ferment at like 18, 20 degrees. Uh, if you go too low, the ale yeast will actually just go dormant. It won't even ferment. It will reactivate when you heat it back up. Uh, lager yeast likes to ferment at like five degrees Celsius. Nope, sorry, ten. Between like ten and thirteen. Yeah. And it will do the same thing. If you go too cold, it will go dormant. If you go too warm, then you start to get these weird off flavors or whatever too. So yeah. that's something to watch out too for. Sorry, Brandon. Nope, that's quite alright. That's like kind of stat goes in that same trend that I was saying is the temperature matters for for primary fermentation and that's something that you can pick up on and, and adjust and react to in real time which is nice yeah yeah so that's one of the things too if you're like oh man i'm like fermenting it's been a while like how come i'm stuck at whatever level i can't get it down lower um check the temperature yeah if, if you're low raise it a couple degrees and then see if it wakes back up and starts activating being active again and then chances are that's it that's pretty common and uh, not harmful to the beer or anything at all mm-hmm. i believe we also covered this in our earlier episode mistakes we made uh, yes where steve describes the perfect way to not uh, address this problem or the most yes, imperfect the, way to address this problem is that's right the uh the space heater in the bathroom yeah that was, yeah though that, no, was, that awesome. was a uh yeah, that's <laughs> how to burn but, your house down. Yeah, yeah um, many ways how to burn your house down. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then other very briefly, uh, because there's so many fruit beers nowadays, uh, a lot of them add it in primary. So you have to have uh, some way that you ha- your your beer is sanit or not not your beer, but your fruit is sanitized at this stage if you're going to add it, because if you take like whole fruit and throw it in um you might fresh fruit fresh fruit there might be other organisms on it that will then take root in your beer so 
uh, generally you have to put in fruit that's either it's been pureed, it's been juiced, or it's been peeled and diced and then put in, uh, hopefully with clean hands. Uh, <laughs> uh, because, yeah, if you put in a fruit that's got a skin on it, there's a very high chance that there is something else on that skin. Uh, and unfortunately, to get your nice fruit flavors in your beer, uh, like you can throw them onto like a stove and bring them up to a boiling uh, point and then put them in. However, you're probably going to destroy most of the flavors you're looking for when you do that. Uh, those delicate flavors do not stand well to heat. So yeah. if you're going to have it skinned and cleaned and all that, like the biggest thing at this, doing it in primary, you have the benefit of the fact that the yeast will typically beat out any other organism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so as long as it has access to the sugars and, and all that sort of stuff and, and has a place to take root, then yeah, the, I guess the main thing to think about is if you're using fresh fruit, anything that was grown outside is going to have natural wild yeast growing on it or just part of it. It's just, Every fruit has it. Grapes have it. Um, you know, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, anything. Mm -hmm. right? um, so, I mean, you can... There's a couple ways if you're worried about that wild yeast. Um, there's a couple ways you can give it, like, a vodka bath. <laughs> the vodka will kill kill off whatever's on it. And because vodka is a neutral spirit, it's not going to imbue other flavors. Mm -hmm. um, I've freezing freezing frozen them uh you toss them in the freezer let them freeze because the just the extreme cold will kill everything too and then you can put that in something um which is why i like to use frozen fruit the nice thing about buying packages of frozen fruit is the package is sealed it's frozen so you can take it out of the freezer while you're brewing and you can leave it on the counter to thaw out while you're doing the rest of your brew day so it's that like a warmer temperature when you add it to your fermenter but at the same time because it's in a sealed bag you don't have to worry about it being contaminated know, or anything weird things yeah exactly it's like a sanitary way of doing something mm -hmm. and then yeah i think that about wraps it up for fermentation uh so usually at this point, you then move the beer from your primary to your secondary uh, for the reason of just letting your beer settle, letting the flavors develop and, uh, you know, trending towards your final product. And generally, any of the problems that happen in primary can also happen in secondary. So if you have improperly clean equipment or anything like that, uh, transferring it over, you can definitely pick up, some, up something else, which is the same thing you smell test or visual test. If you look into your carboy and you see something that doesn't look right, and then you maybe pop off the top bung or something and take a little sniff or whatever, uh, same rules apply. Yeah, so the, the key thing with secondary is making sure that it's uh, airtight, right? So you have your, or not, not airtight, I should say, you have the airlock. the airlock on there so that stuff can go out, nothing can get in. Because mm -hmm. you do not have the advantage of the yeast being the the big boss in town that can beat out anything. That's right. Yeah. By the by the time you're putting in secondary, the fermentation is basically done. You're letting you're letting yeast settle down. Uh, gravity will do its thing. The yeast will fall to the bottom of the bucket or carboy, whatever you're using. And then, yeah, the only way anything goes wrong there is 
You didn't clean and sanitize your gear properly. Yeah. And yeah, it's basically like there's not, if you're again if you're doing an addition in the secondary, which is a little less common than doing it in your primary. Uh, same rules apply. Like if it's a, a fruit addition or if it's a uh, uh, a spice or maybe you're putting oak chips in it or something or lemon peel. Who knows? Uh, same rules apply. If, if it is, if you haven't sanitized it or cleaned it in some way, uh, there's a, a high chance there's something else riding along with that uh, that ingredient that you're putting in. That's right. And then after that, the next step is packaging it. However you decide to package it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're home brewing, you're typically going to be bottles. No, we kegs. covered this on a previous episode. Bottles aren't worth the effort. Did. Put it in kegs. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Carbonate it. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so generally at that point, when you're you're carbonating it, uh, like the CO two should inhibit anything. Uh, like if it did pick it up between your secondary and your your final thing, but stuff can still grow. Uh, I had a, it was at a friend's house. I'm not gonna name who it was. Uh, one time when we were doing, uh, we were sampling bottles of his that he had he had uh, done, and we opened up one, and out of the batch of however many he had like sixty, some bottles, uh, this one that I had chosen and cracked, the smell that came off of it, the sulfur that came off of it, essentially. Uh, it wasn't it it was just wrong and what it turned out it was that he had when he had tried to cap it he had uh it hadn't sealed correctly so a little bit of air got in a little bit of something else got in and yeah it was very very unpleasant so same rules apply clean beer clean gear sort of thing yeah i'm trying to look up the episode of where we talked about kegging versus bottling and i can't remember which one it is it's one of the early ones. I think it's like episode nine or episode ten. Uh, no, I think it's. We should 16. do this podcast with just up on the wall the names of all of our episodes. There's only thirty odd of them right now, and then we can quickly reference and be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as of this recording, we've had thirty three prior episodes. I think, I think the one where we talk about bottling versus kegging, I believe, was common pitfalls, which was episode sixteen. There we go. Episode we six go. and sixteen. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed today, go check those out. Yeah. Yes. We might have even talked about bottling kegging on episode six versus the mistakes. So maybe it does come up uh, fairly, fairly frequently, but I, I maintain yeah. adamant that bottling beer is a waste of time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Other than the convenience factor of being able to take it somewhere, but. You know what? You could keg it, and you can always fill up a bottle and then go. No, I got I got so. other special tools for that. I should bring them to the next one. Next oh, time, there next you time go. we're in person, I'll show you all the fancy gadgets I got to avoid putting stuff in a glass bottle. <laughs> Put it in a bigger glass bottle. Oh, yeah. Well, you talk about growler or something like that. No, but... well, no, no. Well, growlers are one thing, but I got uh, some fancy. They're like the the steel vacuum sealed. One of them's even got a little picnic tap on it. It's still a growler. Oh, one of those ones. Those are really fucking cool. They're awesome. Love those things. It's they're still a growler. Awesome. They're expensive, but <laughs> yes. they're awesome. Yeah, they take like those little, um, those little like what, two hundred fifty gram CO two canisters. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Give, give it a little shot every time you pull pull a beer. Mm -hmm. It's still a growler. 
It's yes. a very fancy growler, but it's awesome. Yes. But it's not a bottle of beer. <laughs> no. I was going to say, at this point, uh, there's not much left to, to screw up on the beer. If you've made it to bottling or kegging, if it hasn't gone wrong by this point, and again, you still have clean beer, clean gear sort of thing, I don't think there's much else that can go wrong, though. No. Not really. Oh, actually, sorry, there is one thing. You can overcarbonate. Uh, it depends how you carbonate, but um, if you're doing... If you're kegging and you're just hooking up your keg to CO2 and carbonating that way, it's really hard to overcarbonate that way. Yeah, it's it's and it, even if you do overcarbonate, you can just bleed off, adjust your CO2 pressure, and then go from exactly. there. Exactly, you can bleed it off and let it go. Like the CO2 will dissolve in liquid, but once you release the pressure, it wants to get the fuck out. Uh, um, I, I'm going to tell a story about uh, bottles though. Because I remember I was homebrewing or doing a brew one time and I was uh, bottling and I I'd kegged some of it, but I had extra uh, extra beer that I just didn't want to go to waste. So I was going to bottle and I couldn't remember how much and usually I use what's called a priming sugar. Uh, so basically you're giving a little bit of food to the dormant yeast that's in the beer uh, to basically wake it up again, create CO2 and... That way, it'll carbonate the beer in the bottle. And I had forgotten how much uh, sugar you're supposed to put in. So, again, rough rule is corn sugar or something like that. You put in about a teaspoon. Uh, so that's five milliliters on a spoon or whatever of whatever. And put, throw it into the bottle. Put your beer in. Give it a shake. Or uh, seal it. Give it a shake. And let it sit for two weeks and it'll carbonate itself. What I had done was put in a tablespoon, which is three times the oh amount. Oh my god. So the first one of those I cracked, uh, it basically went to all foam, like, in an instant. And I had a geyser. So, <laughs> at the... I'm surprised that it actually held, because I've heard stories of, they call these bottle bombs. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, again, since we have a lot of new listeners, um... If you're bottling your beer straight after fermentation, you're going to have zero CO2 inside of your beer. Yeah. So if you're putting, if you're filling all these bottles full of beer, what you do is you add, they call it priming sugar. And like Steve said, it's just a little bit so that the sugar or the, the yeast, there's always a little bit of yeast left in the beer, no matter what, you're never going to get it all out. That yeast is going to eat that sugar and it, as part of that reaction, it creates CO2. So it's going to kind of, they call it a natural, uh, a natural carbonation. Um, by the way, if you do that, uh, you will get a sludge at the bottom of your bottle. Uh, so if you're going to do that, crack the bottle, pour it into a glass, but not the very bottom. Yeah, leave a teaspoon okay. of fluid uh, behind. Yeah, you don't want to drink that. You can if you want. It's, it won't make you sick or anything, but it doesn't taste very good. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so the idea is you only need a little bit of sugar because you want it. It's going to pressurize whatever the bottle that you have it in. So if you ever hear the expression "bottle bomb," this is where it comes from. If you add too much sugar, like what Steve is coming talking about, uh, when you open it, you're either going to get an eruption of the CO2 coming out in the form of foam, or if you add too much and your bottle can't hold it, so you're going to have one of two things happen: either 
the cap that you have is going to pop off and it's going to just shoot off, like hit the ceiling kind of deal. Like you could have these things on the floor and it'll hit the ceiling. Or if that seal is really tight and your bottle is weak, it will shatter the bottle. And then you'll just have broken glass and beer on the floor and you don't know and, why. Yeah. And maybe beer and broken glass everywhere. And maybe blame your roommate. (laughs) And then you know if you made that mistake with one bottle, you probably made it with all the bottles. So now you have, you know, what is that? What do you have? If if you're doing half liter bottles, that's uh, that's and you made twenty liter batch, you know, forty bottles, yeah, forty bottles that are going to (laughs) explode. So yeah, I so I was very fortunate because I, again I had cart uh, kegged the beer and I only had like 15, 15 or twenty bottles, so it wasn't that many. Uh, but yeah, that uh, learned that lesson once and th- and like unfortunately, those beers were undrinkable because uh, by the time you popped it off, it, like even if you did it in the sink and it like foamed, 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 at the end of it, like if you poured it into a glass, you would eventually collect enough beer to have a beer but there'd be all be there'd almost be no co2 left in it because it at all had violently left the beer so you got basically a flat beer yeah so or you get really drunk because you pop it off and you try to sprinkle the foam <laughs> all of this just reinforces my earlier statement bottling beer is a waste of time yeah just go to cakes folks if you can yeah i mean not obviously not everyone can but yeah uh, highly recommend kegs. Kegs are super convenient. It's nice <laughs> when you can put everything into one one container and you're done. Yeah. Well, the other option, if you're truly pressed, is just to go to one of the fine liquor establishments that has solutions brewing beer and buy some cans to get you through the through the trouble of bottling your beer. Yep. To do any aspect of this process, you first need beer to be doing the process. <laughs> so always make sure That's you right. have a supply. <laughs> Got to get one shameless plug in for episode. <laughs> That's right. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to make beer without drinking beer. So. Yeah, I, I think there's a Bavarian law against that. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've gone through the whole process here, guys. Yeah, and I think yes. I think that's this a nice long episode. So we haven't done one like this in a while. Hopefully, people like this one because this is way longer than our normal episodes. So. <laughs> well, if you liked it or you didn't like it, how can they reach out to us, Rob? Well, they can let us know. They can uh, go to our website solutionsbrewing.com and they can hit contact us and let us know or they can send us an email um, no problems at solutionsbrewing.com or they can hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at solutionsbrewingco and on Twitter I'm still waiting for someone to message us (laughs) no no No. it'll be waiting 20 years for that Steve and it might happen but I have to keep on plugging it every episode alright we're gonna cut off this episode before Steve (laughs) talks about Twitter anymore thanks everyone (laughs) thanks everyone take care everyone (laughs) I love that (laughs) I love that